Hello, all you cool cats and kittens, and welcome to The Pick. We are your hosts, John Otney. Carla Westman. And Sean Lemmy. Meow. This is the movie podcast where every week one of us picks a movie, we talk about it, and at the end someone picks another movie. Low concept, high fun, it's all about the rules, that's the power of The Pick. This week we're putting on our long tails and ears for hats. And revisiting the 2001 cult classic, Josie and the Pussycats, based on the characters from Archie Comics. This was my pick. Uh, Were you guys surprised that I picked this movie? Yes. And uh, you probably heard on the podcast, I was not very excited about it. But you know what, guys? Honk if you love pussy. Okay, yeah. We're definitely going to talk about that that scene. That's... uh... Because I went into this movie thinking this movie was PG. Like, I was like, oh, for sure this has to be PG. It's Josie and the Pussycats. Uh-huh. And there's that joke where Tara Reid is holding up a sign that says, Honk if you love pussy. A guy crashes his car because he's, <laughs> I guess, so horny that it <laughs> he just can't control. But it says, Honk if you love pussycats. And I was like, this is the hardest PG I've ever seen. But no, then I, I went up and, and looked and see it was PG-13, which is surprising. I wonder if that's even one small part of this movie's failure because of the fact that, I mean, Josie and the Pussycats, I guess, should be a movie for kids or at least preteens or something. So surprisingly edgy, some surprisingly edgy jokes in there. Um, but no, I, I picked this movie uh, for one. We've been doing a lot of movies with like a lot of dudes. Like, almost too many dudes, so I wanted to try to go the other direction. Usually, like, two dudes <laughs> ruining each other's lives. Yeah. <laughs> really, mainly dudes. Uh, and also, as a tribute to Adam Schlesinger, the songwriter who passed um, recently from coronavirus, because he wrote the big uh, the big jam for this movie, Pretend to be Nice. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a tribute there. Which, which one is that one? That's like the one. It's like their their single. Like, I mean, I, I I'd have to sing it to you. I guess you know, da, 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 pretend to be nice. It's very like '60s esque kind of pop. It's it's the song that takes them to the top of the charts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the middle of the movie. Yeah. It's song. in the middle. It's it's pretty catchy. Most of the songs are pretty good, but that one is stuck with me uh, the most. Uh, apart from the songs by. Jour, but we'll talk about that in a little yeah. bit. I uh, I think that the the first song is the one that I like the most. Okay, I don't the, know if I remember the, the, the one about days and hours. Yeah, yeah, things we can all relate to. Uh, but before we get into Josie and the Pussycats, we gotta talk about our little picks. Oh yeah, <laughs> you forgot about this segment, Sean. Uh, hold on, I gotta look up what my little. You can go last. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> So, for people listening at home, uh, our little picks, this is like a little segment where we recommend other things that we've been checking out, books, music, movies, TV shows, you know, the things you can check out, you got a lot of spare time at home right now, so uh, fill fill your time with these things. I'm going to go with something that is very on brand with what we're talking about this week. Uh, I went down an Archie rabbit hole, uh, you know, because... I'm a fan, and we watched something Archie-related, and I started reading the Afterlife with Archie comics, 
What are those? Okay, so Archie is like the Archie comics, whatever you want to call it, multiverse, has gotten pretty out of hand the last couple of decades to the point where they actually have a division called Archie Horror, which is specifically Archie Horror-related stories. I'm talking Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which became the Netflix show, uh, Jughead the Hunger, which is, a, I really love that title. It's about uh, Jughead and, like, why am I always so hungry? And it's because he's got, like, werewolf ancestry. Okay, sweet. There's Vampironica. Vampironica, vampire, Veronica. Uh, Blossom 666, that's Cheryl Blossom and her brother uh, trying to compete to become the next Antichrist. There's also uh, Jughead the Hunger versus Vampronica. <laughs> but uh, Afterlife with Archie, I think, is the most straightforward, I guess maybe aside from Sabrina. Uh, and it's pretty, like, it, critic. I, I don't know if it's say critically acclaimed, but people are like, it's, it's actually good. It's not like just like a gimmick. It's a good comic. It's uh, done by Robert Aguirre Casa, uh, who's also the creator of Riverdale. And I guess the chief creative officer of all of Archie comics. So he's like he's like the Stan Lee of Archie these days. Uh, and artwork by Francesco Francavilla. And it's a comic where uh, it's about zombies, basically. It's uh, Jughead's dog, Hot Dog, <laughs> gets killed in a hit and run by Reggie. Aww. And uh, he goes to Sabrina. And he's like, can you bring my dog back? And they bury it, and she does a spell, and Hot Dog comes back as a zombie, infects Jughead, and then Jughead starts turning people into zombies, and they're, all the people at Riverdale are fighting them off. And it's surprisingly uh, dark uh, and violent. It's weird to see these like beloved characters being like torn apart, but I think that's part of the appeal. And it's weirdly depressing, too. Like Jughead's like gotta kill his dad and he starts having all these memories of oh we used to have such good times but now i gotta kill my dad because he's a zombie uh so yeah a lot of fun there's 13 issues uh you can you know get it on your any kind of reading app you use from kindle store or like you can go to that comiXology site check it out there uh but it's a lot of fun great artwork very scary uh you know if you want to see archie get uh, torn apart or at least Archie's friends. Check it out. Colin, your little pick. Uh, my little pick is one I, I, th- I think I mentioned in my last like little piece I wrote on the blog about my, my quarantine <laughs> pop culture I've been enjoying. And I'm going to recommend uh, Happy Endings. It's a show I've been re-watching during quarantine because I've had so much time on my hands. And... I just really like it. It's really funny. I wasn't sure if I still would, just because, like, the Hangout sitcom feels kind of like a thing of the past. Uh, This show just being a show about six people in their late 20s, early 30s, just hanging out, going on weird adventures, getting into shenanigans. I guess one thing I, I kind of forgot about the show is that sometimes the plot lines are just like so low stakes and so silly, but it's just like they pull it off in such a, <laughs> I don't know, charming and funny way that it's always enjoyable. Like I forgot there was an episode where one of the characters, like it's the B plot, but it's still like 
they tease it out like over the whole episode one of the characters is just like addicted to v-necks and there's an intervention that all the characters like have for him and he's like struggling with it like it's a real addiction which also is a very early 2010s (laughs) plot line because people were way more into v-necks back then but uh it's also weird because it's a show that at the time, after it got canceled after three seasons, it was like, oh, such a shame. They only got like 60 episodes out of it, which seems like a lot now because streaming shows usually only have like 10 episode seasons. So the fact that this show got a few seasons of like 20 plus episodes, it's like, eh, it's not so bad now. It's It makes for a nice semi-long marathon if you want to rewatch it me and Sean were such what I was just gonna say me and Sean were such fans of this show that we even watched it's like sort of spinoff marry me oh yeah it wasn't as good I know we watched like every episode we're probably it's biggest fans we were hoping it would get to be as good yeah I guess it got kind of good. That, it still had a good ensemble cast. That had, you know, Casey Wilson from, from this, and it had uh, John Gemberling and Ken Marino. Um, and that lady who plays uh, one of Jerry's kids in Parks and Rec. Ooh, yes. She's also Millicent Gergen's wife. Uh, in uh, in that in that movie that I saw that no one else has seen, uh, uh, American. It's not American Hustle. American Made. <laughs> American Made. This is fun What's thinking the- of things that we all watched that no one saw and no one remembers. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Roll down forgotten memory lane. Well, I'm glad that was a meaningful tangent for everyone. This yeah. I loved this show. This it's I mean, how many sitcoms actually like would regularly make you like really laugh out loud? It's really I, I, funny. I mean, sitcoms are kind of like a comfort food, and I, I feel like most sitcoms you giggle a little or or you just you don't you don't physically react at all, but you're like, I know that that's funny. But here is a show that actually made me really laugh. The the lotto prank scene is still like maybe the funniest scene in the sitcom to me. I haven't even got to that yet. I just finished season two. But yeah. It stayed strong up until the very end. Uh, because it got cancelled. That yeah, that's why I was <laughs> way too early. Let's keep going. Yeah. Anyways, did you come up with a pick yet, Sean? Yeah, is it Mary? You know, me? You know? No, I don't think you need to revisit Marry Me. Probably oh, not. What's, what's that guy doing now? He must have a new show, right? David Caspi? I don't know. I, know, I mean, I his know that two big did... shows got canceled pretty quickly. I know that he did for real marry Casey Wilson. Yeah. Uh... Oh, he's doing that Black Monday show. Maybe I should check that out if I somehow get access to Showtime. You guys know that one? No. That one also has Casey Wilson in it. 
it's it's uh, about the the crash of uh, Wall Street in the eighties. But the idea is like all none of the characters know why it happened, so it's like it sounds like it's idiots destroying the stock market. Oh, very nice. Is that your little pick? <laughs> uh, no, my little pick is a TV show, though. I mean, there's so much good stuff that I could be revisiting or watching for the first time. I mean, John was talking about Halt and Catch Fire last week. That sounds like a great show that I should probably be watching. Instead. I have been binging a British game show called Taskmaster because I found out it's all available on YouTube. And so that's that's so low effort uh, that I just decided to take the plunge and watch this show that I know a lot of people love. And I don't quite get why people love it so much, but I am kind of addicted to it. I've made it through the first uh, the first two seasons as of today, which, you know, it's a British show, so that's like 10 episodes, but still... Um, <laughs> It's this game show where uh, Greg Greg Davis is the host and uh, and Alex Horn is his assistant, uh, but I think he's he's the guy who's really created it. And I think it's his concept too. Uh, and the idea is five comedians uh, are given very specific instructions to complete tasks, um, and then they're rated on who best completed the task. Maybe it's just the fastest. Maybe it's the cleverest way to do it, um, or or whatever. So um, it'll be things like uh, like get this potato in a golf hole without getting without touching the green, and you know people finding ways. You, you can't you can't just throw it in the hole because if you miss, then you can't get to the potato, right? So it's how do you come up with an interesting solution to do that? Um, and it's it's just like it's it's creative and fun and and sometimes pretty funny, um, and it's just it's just a really easy thing to watch. Uh, and they did try to do an American version of it a couple years ago. Uh, Alex Horn came over and was doing the exact same thing. I think all the challenges they were doing were also just challenges from the British version of the show. Um, the I think it only lasts one season, and it just—it seems totally redundant and unnecessary. Um, but this British version uh, is is pretty good, and so uh, if you're bored, if you want to work on your English accent or whatever, maybe check out Taskmaster on YouTube. I think it, I think the channel it's on in the UK is called Dave. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Uh, uh, what? What? Are there any British comedians on it? I would know. Uh, I mean, there there are ones that I know, but man, I don't know if you would know them. <laughs> it's probably a no. I don't feel like I'm that into <laughs> British comedy. Like Just Joe just... Wilkinson. Nah. Is that a name you know? Nope. Uh, Hugh Dennis. Nope. Y- yeah. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> all right that's fine you you need bigger you need ones that are in like movies right i think so not just not just people who are on all the panel shows in the uk yeah well that's what, i think noel fielding is in one of the seasons later on. Uh, okay you know him yeah sure. but you got you got to really work for that one so let's talk. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk Archie before we get into Josie and the Pussycats. Okay, I want to give you a brief history of Archie. Is that okay? 
Yes, because I do not know much about Archie. Except for, like, the basics. I guess I, I I know all the characters, I suppose, but... When would you guys guess Archie was invented? Uh, the late 50s. Uh, I'm gonna guess it's actually, like... It's like 1900. <laughs> Turn of the century. I don't know why I even bothered to ask these kinds of questions because it always, like, like, Sean always, like, it goes to the extreme. Like, to where it's, like, it makes it not fun anymore. It's just like, what if you're throwing <sighs> us a curveball? What if it's Archie's secretly way of, of course, older? Of course I'm throwing you a curveball, but Sean's like, I'm not throwing you that big of a curveball. Come on. <laughs> I'm not showing, throwing you an, an ephus. He's older than Betty Boop. I mean, my thought was maybe it's later, like 60s. So here's what I find interesting. So Archie was invented in 1941. But what's interesting about him coming out in the 40s is that's kind of where the term and whole idea of the teenager sort of begins. Like, this is the rise of teen culture in in terms of just fashion. You got crooners like Bing Crosby and Sinatra hitting the scene. Seventeen Magazine started around this time. I think it was in 44. So Archie is, like, a key figure in, like, he's the guy for teen comics. You know, you have your superhero comics, but Archie's, like, your guy for teen comics. And he really, I think helps and maybe i'm giving archie too much credit helps establish like what it is to be a teenager which i find very interesting uh and that i feel like even increases um you know once we're post-war and we're into the 50s and we got like um rock and roll and all that all that cool stuff i mean post-world war uh society really changed how uh teens like socialized because the the middle class uh, rose and teens like now had jobs and were like going out and racing cars and grease lightning and all that fun stuff. And then of course in the '60s, you know, rock comes a bigger thing, and I think that's when Archie really hits its stride. Archie really feels like a '60s comic. But the reason like I bring all this up and why I think this is important is because, you know, I used to get those Archie digests. You guys uh, remember those? You like get them at the next to the gum at like the checkout stand at the grocery store. That's yeah. exactly where I remember them being. I look back like, why did I want those? Why did I like those? What was interesting about those? And it's I th- I think it's because Archie, and he has been for a long time, he's like the most memorable portrayal of a teenager in comics. Like I can't really think of a lot of other famous teenage comic book characters that have been around as long or as important. You know, like, it's hard to think of any, like, what, like, Funky Winkerbean, I guess? He's kind of like a comic character. There's not much. And I think the appeal of that is that when you're a kid, you want to read about that stuff because you don't really have a lot of exposure to it otherwise. So you can read Archie and read about, like, relationships and going to the prom and, like, fixing dad's car you know it's like archie did teen stuff he wasn't like a superhero he wasn't like solving mysteries at least not until archie's weird mysteries in the 90s i don't know if you guys remember that show nah Uh, yeah okay good that's probably it had a great theme song that's what i remember archie's weird mysteries uh very 90s very cool (laughs) does sound good 
but yeah, Archie, he's an, he's an important character for, for kids to learn about teens. And then we got the like expanded like Archie characters. A lot of those came out of the 60s, like uh, Sabrina and Cheryl Blossom. And of course, Josie and the Pussycats. All of those were created by Dan DiCarlo, who worked at Archie Comics for a long time. And then, of course, in like later years, Archie got way at hand. <laughs> like today, like there's so many Archie comics. <laughs> there's so many spinoffs. There's Riverdale. Which, uh, you guys know how I feel about Riverdale. I like Riverdale. You love it. It's your favorite thing on Earth. I forgot one Archie comic. I didn't read into it, but apparently there's a comic called Jughead's Time Police, which I really want to check out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go order that one real quick. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There's my other little pick, Jughead's Time Police. That that seems like a great entrance to the series for me to make. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wonder if he goes and meets like like World War Two era Jughead. Oh no, he's like more probably like Minority Report type stuff. I would imagine if he's a police, it's time police. I mean, it probably, begs a I lot of questions. Is he policing people who are time traveling, or is he going back in time to police people from the past? Okay, so right now there are only six copies left on the Archie Comics website, but it's only $6.99 for the complete 224-page collection. Get ready for a wild ride through time. Jughead has been drafted into a time-traveling police force tasked with keeping history from going haywire. But is Jughead the right kid for the job? So he is policing people traveling through time? Yeah, he's joining the time police. It's kind of lame, honestly. I feel like the whole point <laughs> of going back in time is so you can do cool shit. Not being like, hey, gotta keep everything in order here. <laughs> What's all this then? Is Jughead's name Forsyth P. Jones? Yes. Okay. That explains a lot. Wait, so you said he has to maintain the timeline? He has to keep history from going haywire. Yeah. So if there's a scenario where like um, Lee Harvey Oswald like can't make it to the book depository to kill Kennedy, <laughs> does that mean Jughead has to kill Kennedy? It's funny you say that because the sample page they have on this website is like he's he's like in a park like watching a political figure and he's thinking to himself, that guy's gonna be a president one day. <laughs> Yikes. I don't know if I'm ready for this Jughead's Time Police. It sounds pretty heavy. Why does Jughead wear a shirt with a giant S on it? Is he a Superman fan? I'm not sure what that would stand for. I don't know. School. <laughs> just a big fan. Just, just, Yeah, just like all school in general. They're all good. Uh, what was it? Oh, yeah, Riverdale. Yeah, Riverdale is the best piece of trash. Um, I've only watched the first season... But that's only because the seasons are so fucking long, and I, well, I watched a half of the second season, and then once Luke Perry died, I kind of it kind of felt weird to keep watching because he's a big part of the show. I don't know. I don't know what I have to say about it. I just wanted to bring it up because it's a funny show. It's the guilty guilty pleasures. It's about kids and their hot problems. Jughead is like a moody outsider who's like always narrating the show, like he's doing like a podcast, like he's doing serial or something. It's like super serious, and he's also like into things like. I remember there's one time where he's like, hey guys, I was just going to the John Landis Film Festival. <laughs> Uh-oh. Another one of those clunky references. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, but no, it's hilarious. Uh, it's great trash. Oh, you know, it just reminded me of a story. 
I, I don't want to keep go- like I know we have to talk about Joseph the Pussycats, but um, I remember one time <laughs> uh, Autumn and I went into a hot topic, and mm-hmm. Autumn jokingly bought like a Riverdale like high T-shirt, and we went to go check that out. And the cashier's like, do you want a Hot Topic membership? Which, it's funny to think that someone <laughs> in this day and age would have that. And I was like, oh, no, thanks. And it's like, if you like Riverdale, you'll be back. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I just like the idea that, like, if you're into Riverdale, it has control of you. There's no going back. You are going to need more Riverdale stuff. It's that kind of show. It's that addictive. But I guess where I want to go from here to Josie and the Pussycats is Josie and the Pussycats are on Riverdale, but they're like kind of like barely on it. Uh, they're just kind of on the sideline. They're side characters. And I was thinking, you know, Josie and the Pussycats have always got kind of the short end of the stick. Like Sabrina, she's got that new show. She had that popular show in the 90s. I mean, Josie and the Pussycats, they had their old cartoon, which, you know, moderately popular. But like... I mean, aside from that, I mean, I guess, do you guys remember that sweet Cartoon Network bumper from the 90s? I do. That's my only frame of reference for Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah, that's like the one cool thing that happened to them for a long time, <laughs> where it's like the history of music. I like how that one, like it ends with them, like, it's like techno, like, that's today, or at least that's the future. Yeah. This jet grind radio future where people are playing techno music. Uh. But yeah, not much. But then you get this movie, and then everybody forgets about it immediately. <laughs> or at least, you know, critics don't care for it. It does very bad at the box office. I actually pulled up the box office. Um, uh-huh. Let me see if I can get that again. It's on my Kindle here. Speaking of Kindle, I got that I got that comic coming. Order place for Jughead's Time Police. They did get their time, but people overlooked it. And it but... Yeah, we'll get into it. But anyways, so Josie and the Pussycats opened at uh, number seven, April 13th, 2001. What was number one? Oh, were you going to ask us? I wasn't going to ask you to guess all of them, but I will ask you to guess uh, one comedy that opened the same weekend that did better. It didn't get number one, but it did better. Uh, it's a very raunchy comedy, 2001, with a former SNL alumni. Hmm. I think it's not that bad, but it is. It has a it has a sequel that came way later. Sean has seen the sequel, but oh, the rest Joe of Dirt. us, yeah, it's Joe Dirt. <laughs> Joe Dirt opened at number. F- I called him Joe Derp. Joe Derp opened at number four. <laughs> Do you guys want me to just tell you the, some of the other ones? I think so. Yeah. Bring me back. Yeah, I don't. To we, the... This is gonna take forever. So I'll go. I'll go up from seven. I'll do the whole ten. So, yeah, Josie Pussycats was seven. Um, number ten was a movie called Someone Like You, which had opened earlier. Nine was Enemy at the Gates, which had opened, uh, I think, a few weeks earlier. Uh, eight was a movie I've never even heard of called Pokemon 3, the movie Spell of the Unknown. <laughs> then Josie and the Pussycats. Number six, a movie opening called Kingdom Come. Never heard of it. Number five, uh, the third week of, I think, Blow. Uh, then Joe Dirt uh, opening this weekend at number 3 is Bridget Jones Diary and after that um, number 2 Along Came a Spider and number 1 is uh, Spy Kids which I guess was a pretty big hit which is weird like why would Spy Kids be such a big hit gotta take the kids to something I guess right 
so yeah, total bummer. Did not do well, was not well liked. But then I started reading that years later, people kind of liked this movie. I guess it was misunderstood at the time of its release. I even read some older reviews that were like, oh, there's like too much like advertising in this movie. Oh, so they just weren't paying attention at all. <laughs> yeah, that's, you're missing the whole point of the movie. It's like complaining that like Wayne's World has too much advertising when there's that whole sequence where that's the whole joke. And that's like the whole joke of this movie is it's yeah. so in your face with it. If you don't get that, then you're not understanding this movie very well. <laughs> this Zoolander movie, they're making too many jokes about the fashion industry. Lay off them a little bit. It's disappointing because the, the directing team who made this movie, uh, writing and directing team, Harry L. Font and Deborah Kaplan, um, this was the last movie they ever directed. They kept on writing. Um, they also made um, Can't Hardly Wait which is another one of those movies around this period that I've always kind of wanted to check out. So I should probably check that out at some point. Uh, and what, what's interesting is they got their start with a very Brady sequel. And the first Brady, the first Brady Bunch movie was written by uh, Bonnie and Terry Turner, who wrote Wayne's World with Mike Myers, and then went ah. on to create Third Rock from the Sun in that 70s show. So it's... It, that's funny because like it's like this feels kind of like Wayne's World. It's like a continuation of that style with more of a teen angle, uh, and they did include a lot of people from Can't Hardly Wait uh, into the cast of Josie and the Pussycats, including uh, the boy band that is in this movie. We can start talking about the plot of this movie. So this movie, actually, before we do that, before we do that, Colin, you'd seen this movie before, right? Yes. I Tell me about that. Uh, I think it was a new release uh, at Blockbuster. I believe it was a night where my sister got to choose the movie we watched, and she picked... She had the power of the pick. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very powerful. <laughs> always has been, always will be. And she chose this movie, and we watched it. And I think I kind of liked it, sort of. I don't know. I don't know that I thought about it much for many years. Uh, but yeah, I remember a few things from this movie, and one of the things I remember is there being a lot of Target logos in the background. <laughs> I also remember the ending of the movie where the two villains like reveal themselves to be these weird freaks. That stuck with me also for some reason. Yeah. It's a little much. Yeah. Did you like all the the riffs on the advertising, or do you feel like it went over your head? Or? Oh, I th- it definitely went over my head. I mean, I got it. I mean, it's very, <laughs> it's not a nuanced satire, so I guess I probably, you know, saw what they were going for. But I, as a little kid, I wasn't spending money on anything, so I didn't really <laughs> get what capitalism was. So I'm sure I was like, oh, okay, I get it. There's like a secret evil brainwashing scheme in there. That's fun, I guess. Rewatching it now, it did remind me a little of Zoolander, which Sean yeah. just mentioned. Sure. Like, the, the part where they go, like, deep underground and are, like, talking about their plot to brainwash people with, uh, with pop music is similar to how there's a conspiracy of male models committing assassinations. Same year. 
Yeah, it's funny that the, the, that and, and Wayne's World both came up because those were the two that I kept thinking of the entire movie. And mm-hmm. I would definitely put this in the same league as those two movies. It's, it's like, it's it's really great. It's really enjoyable. <laughs> I think if you, like us, like those two, you should definitely be watching this movie. I also wanted to bring up, Sean, in your letterbox review that you pointed out this this came out very close to that Simpsons episode with the boy band with subliminal messages. <laughs> Right? Isn't that so weird? What's the deal? Why was this a thing with, like, brainwashing people? I don't know. It's just weird. Weird trend. I mean, it feels appropriate for the time just because pop music had become so incredibly commercial at the time. Like, I feel like in the late 90s, early 2000s, artists were breaking records, like, every week for most albums sold in the first week and then of course that came crashing down because that was like at the intersection of that all happening along with Napster becoming a thing and then digital music like killing the recording industry for a little while although now is not (laughs) doesn't seem to be a great time for the music industry either because Nobody can go to concerts anymore, and that's, like, the main form of making money for these big music conglomerates. Anyways, a little tangent. But, yeah, Yeah. it seems appropriate for that time where these boy bands were being, like, packaged and (laughs) mass-produced and expected to make tons of money that were, like, showered on them from these teenage girls and it's, it's a novel new direction for the industry, right? Because, I mean, after after the 60s, there was the idea of, like, a rock band selling out. But that was nothing compared to what was going on with boy bands, right? This was, was a whole new thing. Even the, eight, the pop stars of the 80s weren't like this. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't almost like they were, like, bred from <laughs> an early age to be <laughs> money-making cash cows. Yeah. It is. It was a strange thing. That it was like prominence. it was like we're putting a team together. Yeah, <laughs> the perfect team of hot boys. Wasn't Backstreet Boys and NSYNC put together by the same guy? Yeah, Ron Perlman. What? Yeah, there's this guy in Florida who put together the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and, like, screwed them out of a ton of money and, like, totally uh, kind of exploded And then he went them. to be Hellboy? <laughs> Is that his name? Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Lou Perlman, that's his name, Lou Perlman. Sorry, I can't. I just okay. assumed he had the same name. Hi, like how yeah. Anna Nicole's lawyer's name is Howard Stern. Sorry, it's not like I'm thinking about Lou Perlman every day. <laughs> <laughs> just had to <laughs> grab that out well, of my pocket. Uh, there's also that, the is it the Mickey Mouse Club the where like all these pop stars came from, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Ryan Gosling. <laughs> And Carrie Russell. All right, so the movie. Um, <laughs> it, so good. It opens with a, a boy band. Uh, their their plane is landing at the airport. There's a bunch of people that are super stoked. There's news reporters, and this band is called Dejour or Dejour, uh, which is a term that is used to describe something that is enjoying great but probably short lived popularity or publicity. Uh, so that's, uh, excuse me, Dejour means family. 
touche. Dejour does, does mean family, as we learn. And I knew this. I like. Uh, I knew this movie had a boy band in it, but I wasn't sure who to expect when that plane was landing. And I was like, oh yeah, this is a great collection of kind of early two thousands uh, stars. You know, we got we got Brecken Meyer. And we got Seth Green, Donald Faison, and um, the other guy I'm not that familiar with, but he was in Can't Hardly Wait. His name's Alexander Martin. And I, I notice he's the only one that's in other scenes. Everyone else is in full body cast, so they didn't necessarily. I, I do have to wonder if set. they couldn't get everyone else for that other scene. We'll talk about that a little <laughs> bit later. Uh, so they they land, and then they just start doing a song on the tarmac. Yeah, uh, it's called Backdoor Lover. How do you guys feel about this jam? Love it. It's a really spot-on impression of that type of music. It sounds just like a Backstreet Boys song. Like it's a pretty good imitation, except for the fact that it's called "Backdoor Lover," (laughs) and they're doing like these thrusting moves. It's like wow. That's like the first point where I was like, "Is this PG or PG 3 I'm not sure. Like I got what's going on here. And I love this collection of guys, too, because, like, I could maybe buy that Breckenmeyer is in a boy band. Maybe Donald Faison. But I could never buy that Seth Green is in a boy band. He's wearing a top hat and a feather boa. He looks so dumb. And their dancing's bad. They're just stupid. I don't know. I feel like every boy band has, like, the goofy guy. This guy, your, your Chris Kirkpatrick. Yeah. Howie, yeah, what's right. his name? They can't uh, all be super hunks. Howie, yeah, Howie something. Right. <laughs> I know what you're saying. You, you make a strong case for the weirdos. Yeah. Oh, I also wanted to point out one little fun fact. Remember they're like yeah. interviewing all the fans and they interview one boy fan. He's like, you know, I just like them. You know, like whatever. Like it's nothing. I just, they're, they're just like my bros. Yeah, it's, that was disappointing. But that was Justin Chatwin. <laughs> really? It's his first film performance ever. He looks like he's like twelve. He looks so young. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Yeah, and they do their little performance, and then they um, catch up with their their manager Wyatt Alan Cumming, and uh, they hop mm-hmm. onto their their sweet target plane. It's a uh, it's a plane where the entire <laughs> interior is uh, the target logo over and over again, and. Uh, I love there's even just like boxes of like Tide in the background. Like stuff that wouldn't even be in the plane that's just there for the commercialism. It's hilarious. And uh, and these guys are super dumb. Um, and this is we find out pretty early on like the whole scheme behind uh, Wyatt and using this boy band. And it is that he is hiding subliminal messages in their music for people to go out and buy shit. But I can't remember how they figured it out. How did DeJour piece it together? I think they said that they had, uh, they were doing a remix of their latest single and they were like, while they were doing that, they, they started hearing the subliminal message in the background. Right. And so, uh, Wyatt makes a, makes a phone call and heads to the front of the plane and, uh, tells gives the 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 pilot the code which is like take the chevy to the levee which i assume is a reference to the plane crash in american pie mm-hmm. i think which, all his code names are song lyrics aren't they i don't remember a lot of the other codes but that would make a lot of sense for what this movie is uh 
but yeah, this is pretty surprising. And then he, him and the pilot just jump out of the plane and so the plane can go crash. Definitely a good uh, pre-9-11 joke. This movie probably wouldn't have had that same sequence had it uh, had it come out yeah, even later. That's pretty crazy. Here. But it's pretty dark. It's like, all right, um, these guys have figured out. Plans, you know, this plan's done. we got to find a new band. We'll just leave them all to die in a fiery plane crash. <laughs> Oh, but the way that that pays off later is so good. It's pretty great. And uh, Wyatt finds himself in the town of Riverdale. And he begins searching for a new band. And in come the Pussycats. And we got, uh, of course, Josie. Rachel Lee Cook from She's All That. Another movie which I should probably check out at some point. Haven't seen. Have you guys seen that one? I think I have. Another one that's was it very a was it a Reagan's weird. pick? No, I watched it. I think with uh, our former childhood friend Matt Hadley. I think he owned oh, it on okay. VHS. Okay. Yeah, you know, one of those classic early two thousands movies where a girl's a nerd, but then she learns to be hot, and everybody likes her, <laughs> just like The Princess Diaries. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen it, but I have seen not another teen movie, and they use the same plot, of course, among mm-hmm. many other plots that are thrown in. Uh, but yeah, like, it was weird watching Rachel Lee Cook in this movie, because I thought she was pretty good and pretty charismatic, and I was wondering, why haven't I seen her in more things? What happened? Time? I don't know. It seems weird. I know she does, like, a lot of voice acting. Like, I think she was... Uh, Tifa Lockhart's voice for a long time in video games. Oh, so topical. That game just came out. But not in the new one. Oh. Sorry. Sorry, Rachel. The new one has, I think, like the kind of punk girl from uh, Glow as Tifa. What games are these? That's called Final Fantasy VII. You don't know Tifa Lockhart, Colin? God. I only played Final Fantasy IX. And like the demo of Final Fantasy seven and eight. Uh, yeah, so originally Cook, we we get to meet each member of the Pussycats as they're jamming along, and we get kind of a little montage for each one to to show what they're like. And Josie, we see, is very dedicated to her music and teaches kids music, and is just rocking out all the time. Uh, and then we got Val, and that's uh, Rosario Dawson. And she's just, like, very smart and compassionate and caring. She plays the bass. And then there's also Terry Reed as Melody. And her thing is she's very optimistic and bubbly and likes playing with animals and holding up misleading signs on the road. Uh, I was kind of sad to see Terry Reed in this because she's pretty fun in this and pretty good. And it's it's just sad to think that she became kind of the like a joke for the socialite party girl life and is in the Sharknado movies. Uh, Cause she is good in this. So I wonder how, how close are these depictions of the characters to what you would expect to see in the comics or the other Josie media? I would say very close. Uh, they definitely follow the dynamic of Val's the smart one. Josie's just generic leader. She's the Leonardo <laughs> of the group. And, uh, and Melody is like kind of dumb. I remember a joke uh-huh. from the original Josie and the Pussycats, uh, or some version of the show, where she's like, uh, open Sesame Street. 
<sighs> so yeah, it's it's not that different from like the Alvin and the Chipmunks dynamic. Sure, that's a fair comparison. Definitely. Right. Is it though? Because Josie's not a stinker like Alvin is. That's true. <laughs> Josie's not so, like uh, starting fires. There's not that Alvin does that, but you know, he's a huge arsonist. <laughs> well known arsonist. Alvin. When is somebody gonna get? So we've gotten all these bizarre Archie comics. When are we gonna get some fucked up Chipmunks comics? <laughs> the Dark Chipmunks universe. Yeah, the Chipmunks. The Chipmunks. That's what I want. <laughs> Alvin's wearing a MAGA hat. Yeah. Just all this horror. No, I don't like where I've taken it. I hate it already. You ruined it. But yeah, Josie and the Pussycats. And they also have their manager. And it's Paula Costanzo from Joey. The hit show Joey. Oh, hell yeah. Always good to see my man Paula Costanzo. Is that why I recognize that dude? Probably, right? I, I don't know oh what else. Oh god. What else would, is he from? I feel like he had to have starred in a, in a USA show. He definitely was. It was either... It wasn't Suits, right? It was something with a doctor and a beach. I mean, they all have a doctor and a beach. <laughs> Royal Pains. Yes. That was a good pull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know him from Royal Pains, Sean? It was on the TV... In my house from time to time, so I guess. Probably monk adjacent at some point in history, so that's probably how you would have found out about yeah. it. Uh, and I guess, what's his shtick? He's just, he's bad manager? He's like, he's not a, he's not actually a big fan, at least early on. But his sister's a uh, missing pile. Yeah, and she makes that great joke that she's only there because she's in the comics. Because, uh-huh. yeah, the character doesn't really add that much. Aside, but it's, you know, it's Missy Pyle. She's funny, so. Some, yeah, some it's, it's hard to read if she is supposed to be a friend or an enemy of the band early on. <laughs> I, I'm i not sure. I don't know that they know what to do with it, but it's still, <laughs> it's still fun. Oh, and there's also yeah. Alan M., played by Gabriel Mann, who's Josie's crush. And I guess he's like a songwriter, too, but... Nobody really cares about what he does. He's not even that hot. I'm just putting, it, just throwing it out there, you guys. Uh, I believe they say he's the hottest guy in town. I know. What the hell? That can't be right. He's barely hotter than Paulo Costanzo. <laughs> Is he hotter than Archie? Ooh. Well, I mean, Archie's not in it. But who would have been Archie? Okay, if they made an Arch, if Archie had shown up in a cameo in this movie in 2001. Who could it have possibly been? I don't know, man. Uh, I, I, I mean, you're the one who you got to tell me. Like, <laughs> is Jonathan Taylor Thomas the right kind of guy? What, what kind of yeah, what kind of team? Sure, are we talking sure, about? sure. Is he a big enough? Yeah, he's a big enough star. Let's say it's Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Definitely hotter than than Gabriel Mann and Paula Costanzo. I, what a weird conversation we're having right now. Raking the hotness of these three superstars. Um, uh, but yeah, so... Where are we? So, Wyatt, he's got... I'm trying to remember how he puts... How he finds out about them. Oh, it's so good. I love this part. Yeah, Can yeah. Can I tell it? Go for it. Go for it. So, uh, he's... he's he has the, uh, the, 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 the single, the new single for from DuJour... Uh, and he's playing it 
in uh, in a record store, and uh, the one uh, I don't know salesperson is like totally cool. She's like a rocker chick, and she's like, I don't like this at all. And he's like, Really? I want to get your opinion. And he like ships her off in a van. It's <laughs> pretty cool. Um, but that gets him like driving down the road, and that's when he gets a call from his boss, uh, who's Parker Posey. And she's like, you got to get a new band, man. And he's like, where am I going to find a new band? <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, the Pussycats are playing, are trying to play a show in front of, uh, I think, the same shop. Or at least another like shop in the shopping part of town. And the person's like, we're, I'm going to call the cops. I'm not, I can't have you playing your bullshit in front of my store. We got the new DuJour single. <laughs> um, so they have to like pack up and they walk out on the street. And... And it's just when uh, when Wyatt's like, where am I going to find another band? And he has to, like, slam on the brakes. And there's, like, a huge, like, neon sign, like, your next big band is, like, pointing at them. <laughs> and he fucking turns to the camera and winks. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, also, like, remember Meatloaf is playing when he sees them. Which is really great. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Yeah, there's that, that sign says, uh, number, like, yeah, C- CD number one band. And he, like, frames it like it's the album cover. He, like, sees him. He's like, that's it. Oh, my God. And, like, he doesn't even really care about how they sound. He's like, yeah, he never hears them play a song. He signs them sound unheard. <laughs> He's just that evil. Um, I guess I'm trying to, like, follow through the Wikipedia a little bit. I feel like it's skimming over some stuff, but I'll, I'll just go with it for now. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned Parker Posey. And she is uh, conspiring with the music industry to hide subliminal messages in pop music, which we learn about in like an informational video with Eugene Levy. Which mm-hmm. man, this movie so is good. oozing two thousand one. It's so fucking funny that he's talking about how much he loves America because he's Canadian. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Next level. Well, and also he's, he's like a he's talking about like he's a huge Hollywood star too. Of course he's. <laughs> Eugene Levy, it's fucking great, uh, and I love the the scene right after where she she like mumbles to herself like that was a close one or that's what you think or something, and the guy hears it. Oh yeah, to, what did you say? And the scene just him. keeps going. It just keeps going. It's, ah, yeah. I think that was the first. That was no. I mean the the Paradise by the Dashboard Light is probably the first time I like really laughed hard. But yeah. That that also had me giggling. This one was like, I'm having a good time. This is a good movie. I like this movie a lot. I, I wish I could remember the exact lines because after their first exchange, like they walk away again and she says something, and then like the the general or the, the FBI guy like thinks like she like likes him and like takes her hand and they start talking. <laughs> and it's like, why is this still going on? This is such a weird. So good. It has it has like Austin Powers energy for sure. Yeah. Of like yeah, dragging out does. a joke like that. Or like making and, like a, a a character that would normally just be a background character have like his moment, have like an actual scene. Yeah, he's great. And Parker Posey is having a blast. I I mean, you can t- she's in the these hilarious costumes the entire movie. Uh, she gets to do all this freak stuff later on at the end, but I I, I think she's just having a blast the entire movie. Right. Um. Yeah, and then why it's like making him over i wrote down a, like i was writing down just like stray lines but i can't even remember the context of some of these lines <laughs> i did write down at one part 
like Buffy meets Chicken Run. I don't remember what that's referring to, but I really like those references, so keep them coming. This movie, this movie knows what time it came out in. I guess we can jump ahead to when they're uh, they're going to record, and he has that weird machine that makes him sound like hella good, but also adds in all the subliminal messages. Oh. John, if you've been writing down lines, do you remember the word that they said to use instead of cool? No, I don't. I'm sorry. Oh. What did I write down? Snapple? Gatorade is the new Snapple? Like, I don't even understand that. Um, was the cool also word? They've... Was it Jerkin? Jerkin, that's oh, it. Oh, that's at the cool. very end yeah. of the movie. I remember. Is there? Is but, it in earlier, too? It's, that, it's, in that, it's in that scene where she's showing around the government guys. Right, right, right. There's, see, there's a lot of jokes. I, I feel like I'm, I'm missing some. Because there's just so many. Like, I didn't even mention when we were talking about Parker Posey that they've, like, employed uh, Mr. Movie Phone to do all the subliminal messaging for them. And it's the actual Mr. Movie Phone. They actually got the guy who is Mr. Movie Phone to be in this movie. <laughs> and there's, like, they're also, like, there's a part where they're showing a bunch of clips uh, of uh, pop-related stuff. And they have, like, a clip of, or they're just showing, like, some behind-the-music stuff. And someone like says like, "Oh, I really love the Leaf Garrett episode," and I'm like, "Who's so that's not for kids? That's definitely for someone older." The Leaf, the Leaf uh, Garrett episode also behind the music. Yeah, and the and the Captain and Tennille behind the music. Yeah, the, that's that's way later, but yeah, it's the Captain and Tennille oh, and the later? chief, and the chief. <laughs> and they have the chief. He's like dressed like an Indian chief, <laughs> uh, and he's. Uh, uh, I think it's Babyface, who is like a, you know, the R&B musician and producer. I guess he also produced a lot of the music on the soundtrack, so that's why he's in, because he's not normally an actor, <laughs> playing the chief, and now he's like a janitor. Um, I guess they throw that in later when the band is kind of going through some tough spots, so uh, it's like, we could end up like okay. the chief, <laughs> from Captain <laughs> Tennille and the chief. Uh, but yeah, they, uh... They're using the the fancy schmancy uh, device that makes them sound hella good, and it's around this time that they record their hit single, uh, "Pretend to Be Nice." This is the Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne song. I found the song hella catchy. I was listening to it on Spotify. Man, this is a bop, and it's going to the top of the charts everywhere. Into it, all over. Love mm-hmm. it. Um, but of course, as this becomes popular and the group becomes popular, Wyatt decides to put Josie at the front of the band. Like the band is originally called the Pussycats, but then they become Josie and the Pussycats and there's a divide in the group. <laughs> You're laughing, Sean. Yeah, it's so, it's so funny. Oh, I like the scene. I also like the scene <laughs> where they, uh, they first see the billboard that says Josie and the Pussycats and he's like, well, but everyone knows that nobody just likes band names. They like it when it's like a name and the band name. And she's like, really? What about like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones? And he's like, oh, yeah, of course, of course, of course. It's good. It's very self-aware. And we find out from uh, Parker Posey and her company Mega Records that there's going to be this big plan where they're going to put together this big pay-per-view concert that's going to be streamed online and everyone's going to wear these uh, cat ear hats and it's going to like basically brainwash them 
mm-hmm. buy all the shit and all that good stuff. Um, what else happens? I remember there's yeah. the TRL stuff. <laughs> oh, what a twist this was! This was so good. Let's let's go into this TRL scene. So, as the band is drifting apart, uh, Wyatt tells Val and Melody that they want you two to be on TRL. Josie, you got some other stuff that you need to work on. We just need Val and Melody. So that gives them hope. Mm. It's like, oh, well, I guess we are important in the band. We're going to go on beyond TRL. Uh, So they go to the TRL set, only to find that it's all made of cardboard. Cardboard cameras and cardboard fans. And then out comes uh, Aries Spears (laughs) from Mad TV saying, hey, guys, it's me, Carson Daly. Look at my nails. See, I'm Carson Daly. And what's so weird about this scene is then the actual Carson Daly comes out, like, to talk to them. And it's like, why did they have this other guy who also says he's Carson Daly? Like, what was the point of this character? Why is he here? They just didn't trust Carson Daly's acting abilities. They didn't think he could carry a scene without joke master Aries Spears to be the anchor. Aries Spears is, is pretty fun in this part. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and everyone, everyone's like, hey, why do you keep doing impressions? You're not very good. You're not very funny. It's, it's, I like that a lot. And, and I love Carson Daly being like, more like Total Request Dead. It's like, gets out a, he gets out a baseball bat. He gets out these girls to death. If they're going to kill him, why not just have good? I like, they're going to like fight him like crooks on Batman or something. They get out their baseball bats to try to kill the pussycats. And Val has to fight off. Other Carson Daly is how he's credited in the movie. <laughs> um, while Melody is uh, is trying to fight off uh, Carson Daly himself, as they find out they have a, uh, a bunch of things in common, like they both really like Lady and the Tramp, and they could actually be really great friends. That's how she, she uses that to her advantage, though, to try to trick him and then overpower him. Uh, fun fact. Uh, like Matt Car- Damon. Yeah, Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon stand-up. Stand uh Fun fact, though, Carson Daly and Tara Reid did actually date in real life oh, after this movie for a brief period of time. After the movie. Oh, I thought, I thought you were saying it was like a meta joke because they really did date. But it came out. Maybe it was before. After. I don't remember. You know, I forgot to mention, too, the director of this movie, co-director Deborah Kaplan, was married to Brecken Meyer for, from 2001 to 2006. So oh. also interesting. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people feeling the love with Josie the Pussycat yeah. set, I guess. I would have assumed Breck and Meyer was already married to Seth Green. <laughs> they love they each do other. They work together a lot. This was the, the same first... year that they were like best buds in Rat Race. Like, okay, so literally that was the all same. their scenes are together. <laughs> Which is also the That's case weird. in this movie. And they're both in uh, Can't Hardly Wait, and that's, I think, a few years earlier. So I, it's just weird. It's crazy to think they've been friends for so long <laughs> and in so many things together. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I do have to correct Colin. Uh, Meyer and Seth Green were not friends in Rat Race. Were they brothers? Seth Green, was, Seth Green is partnered with his brother, who is addicted to body piercings, mm-hmm. who... Oh, yeah. fuck! You can't talk. Fuck me if I know the name of that guy. I'm gonna uh, look it up. But but Brecken Meyer plays like an attorney. He's just a separate guy. He gets partnered up with Amy Smart. That's hmm. weird, though, that they're both in it. Then, if they're not even playing friends, but they are close friends, what <laughs> happened? 
I mean, maybe Sean looked up that other guy and ran they, race. They must, they must have like yeah, a. Yeah, I, did, I didn't know I was together. dealing with a rat race head here. <laughs> Huge fanatic. I've seen rat race a lot of times. It's it's all right. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time, mm-hmm. but there was a time where I watched that movie a lot. Yeah. It's fun for the whole family. I'm still trying to figure out it that guy's Smash name. Mouth in it. Yeah, the what? the climax of the movie is a Smash Mouth concert. The actor's name is Vince Vilaf. I have He's no idea. American who that Werewolf is. in Paris. Ugh, with Thomas Everett Scott. With the music That's by the Adam one. Schlesinger from that thing you do. It's all connected. It's all connected it's all connected uh i don't remember how does Ari spears get defeated uh he like runs into a wall or something after doing a bill (laughs) (laughs) that's how you get him it works every time uh and then meanwhile josie is being brainwashed by listening to some music uh that's turning her into a uh a, a bad guy and wanted to take over the band and also uh-huh. missing out on Alan M's shitty concert in a bar that no one really cares about. Yeah. But Missy Pyle's there, which is weird. Doesn't seem, doesn't seem she... like she'd be a supportive friend in any way. Right, but she's there because she also has a crush on Alan M. She's trying to defeat Josie oh. as her romantic rival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, so that's going on. I'm trying to remember how they patch things up. How do they patch things up? How do they patch things up? We know that they have like a, a formal band breaking up scene, right? Because she's she's all mean, and uh, and they're trying to talk about what happened at Total Request Live, but she's like, "I don't need you. You guys are holding me back because of the brainwashing." Uh. Uh. Oh. Well, there's that moment where Josie looks at her old uh, her old bus pass. That's a kind of a pivotal moment, right? And it's like, oh, we were all such friends. And re- yeah. that re- that rekind- I don't know if that overcomes the brainwashing, but that definitely rekindles her her feelings for her her uh, her girl group. I just remember them like fighting some security guards. Then, like, I I I don't remember. I don't remember, yeah, what triggers it either, but I know she ends up going with um, with her manager and Missy Pyle to uh, to to the, the the studio, and they like they find the, the the secret subliminal track in in the mix. They have to like go through with this show because if they don't, they're gonna like fake Val and Melody's death in like a fiery car crash. Yeah, it's this movie's pretty dark, and how it's like okay, once we're done with you, we're going to murder you. I really want to get to this karate fight with the security guards because uh, Tara Reid is like really good at like kung fu, and that's always a good gag in movies when people are really good at that and you don't expect it. And then the fact that uh, Josie and um, Parker Posey have like a slap fight, very comical. yeah. They, they have a cat they fight. Juxtapose the fights. Yeah, but yeah. They have to take the stage. Or wait, do they, do they, because do they, uh, there's that whole shtick with, you know, 
Parker Posey and Alan Cumming like revealing their true selves. Is that before they take the stage? It must be, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's they do that. Um, well, but this is also after DeJour has reappeared. Um, oh, yeah, let's talk about this. So DeJour kind of shows up right in the nick of time to set things right. They actually had a like a, sent a warning to Melody earlier by like writing in lipstick on her mirror. Like I can't remember what it said. It's some sort of warning about you know don't trust these people. Stop the music. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, very threatening message. And she's that, shocked, but it's because she has to like turn the O into a smiley face and right, uh, right. dot on the I into a heart. So they show up, uh, they've survived the plane crash, and Alexander Martin is the only one who seems relatively unharmed. The other three guys are in full body casts. They have, like, hats over their casts and stuff. But, like, is this because they couldn't get those guys to film on that day? Yeah, it really seems that way. (laughs) Like, they don't even say anything. They just go, But regardless of the reason, I love the story for why they're like that. Apparently, their plane crashed, uh, and they got out and were at a Metallica concert. <laughs> they didn't even crash their plane. They successfully oh, landed Oh, they landed the it. You're right. They landed it. They, but they landed it in the parking lot of a Metallica concert. And then the only reason Alexander Martin didn't get nearly pummeled to death was that he knew the lyrics to Enter Sandman. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a little silly, but then I love to, like, play that scenario out and visualize it in my head where this boy band shows up and the metal fans are like, oh, these guys suck. Let's fucking kick their ass. But then one of them starts singing <laughs> Enter Sandman. They're like, oh, he's okay. He's okay. It's uh, it's an absolutely ridiculous uh, scenario for what I assume was just, oh, we couldn't schedule these actors for this day, so let's come up with this. Um, yeah, and they explain mm-hmm. that this is, a, this is a ruse and that they're trying to tear you apart and make you sell shit and this is all to feed Parker Pose's ego and I guess this uh, this gets um, Alan Cumming and Parker Posey to kind of open up and, and, and reveal themselves and as Colin said earlier yeah they're, they're both freaks I mean that's that seems mean to say but they go very over the top in how they're uh, what their true selves are like Alan Cumming is an albino like, not just an albino, like, he wipes his forehead, and it's, like, as white as it could possibly be. Like, it's insane. And he's wearing a... Yeah, he, yeah. he says he's, wipe, he's wiping makeup off, but it really just looks like he's putting a streak of white paint on his forehead. <laughs> and he takes off his wig, and he's got just, like, wisps of white hair. And then Parker Posey's got, like, a lisp, and she's also got messed up teeth. Her teeth are jacked. Uh, I mean, it's 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 not it's they are worse than those like prosthetic gum ravaged teeth that you buy at a Halloween costume store. Oh yeah, it's, it's, they're the worst teeth you've ever seen. They're next level, and you think her being that rich, she would have got that fixed. But whatever, it's uh, it's part of the joke. No, they're just freaks. And the 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 piece de resistance is Alan Cumming like letting out his big gut. Um. Isn't he, doesn't he also speak with a southern accent? He's like he's been faking being. English I don't know if it's southern, time. but he's definitely American. He's been faking the British thing, and I guess they knew yeah. each other at some point too. Uh, but they like still get arrested though, so it's not even like. 
<laughs> yeah, but they get to be in love. And gross Aww. before they go to jail. <laughs> um, but everyone's waiting. The crowd's waiting for the show. And, and Josie and their bandmates go up there. And Josie tells them to take off their their ear hats. Yeah. And tells them the truth. And then it's like, I'm going to show you what we're really like. You know, you may not like it, but if you do, that's cool. You know, whatever. This is who we really are. And they play their song. And I would imagine, yeah, they all, they all like it. It doesn't sound that different from what they've been doing. It's not like the uh, the music company try to take them in this direction and turn them into a boy band or something. They're always their their regular sound. Yeah, but but did people ever really like that sound? That's or a good they point. Just like the subliminal messages. That's a good point for sure. Uh, but people are into it, and Alan M is in the crowd. He's crowd surfing his way to the front, and proclaims his love for Josie. And she's like, "Oh, I love you too," and it's sweet. Uh, and everybody's having a good time. And just like we did. Just like we yeah. did. Yeah, I, I was trying to follow along with this movie on Wikipedia, and it's like the most dis, just like jumbled mess of events. This movie like is really more just like it's the jokes. Like that's I think that's what makes it so great. It, it, there's just so many jokes. It's so loaded with uh, visual gags and. Uh, and just references it, it really felt like a time capsule movie like it was it was really fun kind of almost like going back in time watching this movie it's hard to believe this is an era that we grew up in it seems so far removed from where we are now but like mm-hmm. it's so in that era but it's also such a great satire and spoof of that era and everything that was ridiculous about that time period uh with boy bands and pop music and commercialism and the stardom of yeah. Eugene Levy and all that fun stuff. Yeah, I, I think Colin said it best. It's not a subtle or particularly insightful satire. It's it, it's not you're not going to learn a profound lesson watching this movie, but it, it's having a lot of fun with its concept. And uh, as someone who knew nothing about the Archie universe, it was very welcoming to a newcomer. Yeah, I think if this is keeping in tune with the rest of Archie comics, what it does. Uh, well that archie also does well is that it just provides like if you're a kid and you want to know about like teens like this is a positive image of what like teen life is like i mean even though these are all like people in their 20s and everything like it's just quirky and fun uh and it yeah it's interesting because it's like it is like i guess it's a kid's movie it's josie and the pussycats but it feels like more than that too and i think that's love a lot more swearing than you would expect. <laughs> there's definitely a shit. Someone drops a shit in there. I was like, whoa, there's a shit in Josie Pussycats. Uh, it's just a shame that it didn't do very well, critically or commercially, when it came out. I mean, I think part of that is they probably did think it was hard to market. Like, is this a kid's movie? And it's like, oh, and it's girls. Like, it's not like boys. Well, boys are easy. Like, boys like guns and stuff. Like, it's unfortunate. <laughs> I don't know that that movie could do well today either. Like, it seems like it'd be like a straight to Netflix movie, if anything. Well, yeah, no comedy does well anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it was it was fun to. Well, I guess I guess now nothing does. Nothing well. does Movies well. Are done. Movies are done. Um, we are living in the apocalypse. I'm really looking forward to that jet grind radio techno future that we may reach someday. <laughs> We're not there quite yet. 
but yeah, it didn't it didn't disappoint. It definitely yeah, it reminded me of stuff like Austin Powers and Zoolander. But yeah, it was just weird because like, why hadn't I seen this one? It it deserves to be seen. So, I'm glad we watched it. Because uh, yeah, I was looking at um Deborah Kaplan and Harry Fant's uh, career after this, and it's like fine. Let's see what else did they do? They did. Uh, I had it written down somewhere. I'm relying on my corona ravaged internet right now they did surviving christmas they wrote that they wrote maid of honor and they wrote leap year i don't see anything since then that's too bad i bet if they got to direct something you know something more personal and closer to their heart would have been good these others just kind of sound like because a lot of these other movies have like four other writers you know kind of just sounds like they're script doctors um also i guess that era kind of ended they kind of relate to the party of these self-referential kind of comedies like that like zoolander rat race like this they're all around the same time and most of these other kind of movies that were satirical of pop culture like this were from the 90s so Mm, i think yeah it feels like a 90s thing i think the comedy landscape just evolved and maybe they just didn't have a place in that uh and where it went where i guess it went to stoner comedy a little bit later, you know, yeah. the Judd Apatow yeah. era. And like Wedding Crashers, the R-rated. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like 2003, 4-ish, like that's where comedy went. Um, we got away from stuff like this, but it's too bad. I wish we still had stuff like this. But we got this. You can you can rent it uh, and check out the or soundtrack buy or buy it. I wish I had bought it. <laughs> I'm glad you, you liked it because, yeah, this definitely – I wasn't sure. This felt like a gamble picking it. Um but there's a lot of people like on Letterboxd and just people I listen to on podcasts like, no, this is actually like a fun movie. This is good comedy. And it was. I wish there was a sequel. Maybe we need to start that uh, petition. <laughs> uh, do we have any goofs? Does anyone have any? Sean, do you have any goofs? Yeah, there's not a ton on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only one I thought was even remotely interesting uh, relates to that Captain and Tennille and Chief bit. Yeah. Uh, because uh, the Chief takes credit for having co-written Love Will Keep Us Together. Yeah. Uh, which is a song that the Captain Tennille did not even write. It was written by Neil Sadaka and Howard Greenfield. Wow, Neil Sadaka. Was it like a way older song or did he write it in that time period? He, he must... wrote it in that time okay. period. Yeah. I guess he was Two still years before stuff. their version. Interesting. Okay, I'm taking control of the conversation, you guys, because it's my turn to make a pick. And uh, I had such a good time watching this. I was like, what is another cult classic movie we can watch? Specifically, what's a cult classic movie based on an old cartoon that I don't care about? (laughs) And there is one answer to that question, as far as I know. And that is 2008's Speed Racer, directed by the Wachowski siblings. We are going to watch Speed Racer. It is my pick. I have picked it. I was hoping you'd choose Scooby-Doo. I knew, I knew you were doing Speed Racer. I, I yeah. knew it. I, had a, I just knew it. You've seen this before, right, Sean? I've not seen this. I have seen Scooby-Doo. I feel like this is a movie shot and spin. 
wanting to force us to watch for 15 years now. It's a similar story to Josie and the Pussycats, a movie that didn't do well commercially or critically, but now people are like, wait, actually, that's like the best a Speed Racer movie could have been, and it's really cool. Mm-hmm. So I think it's definitely worth our time. That'll be fun. I think so, too. It's the Wachowskis. It's Emil Hirsch. It's Christina Ricci. It's John Goodman. It's Susan Sarandon. Matthew fucking Fox. Yeah. This joint. I haven't seen him in a while. It'll be, <laughs> be fun to see him in something. What was that vantage point? Remember vantage point? Oh, I do remember vantage point. Dennis Quaid. And Forrest Whitaker. Future pick, maybe? Vantage point? Ooh, I hope so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, maybe it'll be a future pick, and you can find the pick on mildlypleased.com, um, and you can find it anywhere you find podcasts, I guess. I, I, iTunes, if people are still using that, I don't know. I'm not really, but someone must be. And yeah, we'll see you next time when we're talking about uh, Speed Racer. And we're going to pretend to be nice. Well, he looks at me with those innocent eyes and says it looks like you're wearing some kind of disguise because your hair sticks up, your shoes are untied. I hope that you got that shirt at half price and every word I say falls flat on the floor. I try to tell a joke, he's heard it before, and I don't think that I can take it no more.